Moms are great. Mother's Day is a nightmare. With the world beginning to reopen, this may be our busiest Mother's Day yet. Yelp for Restaurants is here to help you execute a flawless service. Contactless table management, reservation management, and digital waitlisting tools ensure your diners don't have to wait around in long lines in an era of social distancing. Empower your guests to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave home. Provide accurate wait times and automatically notify them right before their table is ready. Let's get back to business better than ever. Listeners of this podcast get three months of free access to waitlist and $300 of free monthly advertising credits. Visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash Mother's Day to learn more. Now here we go. If you're in a bad situation, know that it gets better if you decide you want it to be better. Whether it's leaving that restaurant or starting a new one, it's your choice, it's your life. If you're scared about it, good. It should be scary. There's no guarantees, but don't waste your life in someone else's vision if it's not what you want. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Before the pandemic, before the calls for transparency between restaurateurs, there was Mike Bausch, a super successful restaurateur giving away all of his trade secrets. I reached out after reading his book, Unsliced, which is a playbook on how to run a successful restaurant. Today, we explore what motivated him to share his wisdom and key lessons from the book. When it comes to mentoring, I think now I look at different avenues when it comes to, hey, who really is financially sound? There's people in Tulsa. There's an abundance of information on blogs and stuff. One-to-one relationships. I've done EO in Tulsa Entrepreneurs Organization, which some people absolutely love it. Some people, it's not for them. It really depends on how much you put into it and the group that you're around. I'm very lucky that the group I'm around is a bunch of really smart guys. A guy who was the CEO for Consumer Affairs is in it with me. Uh, a guy who heads up a hospital program, he makes software. So people in totally different walks of life, I'm getting their information now. And now I seek to have just an abundance of like-minded people. From a dough perspective, I'm around everyone that could ever be in pizza. There's a guy named John Arena out in Las Vegas who's like, they call the godfather of pizza. Jim and Yanni's the Jordan, he's the godfather of pizza. I just knows every single dough trick there is. And it's just such a kind person. And Everyone in the pizza world is like on speed dial at this point. So I'm very lucky in that sense. And if you're cool to people, people are cool back, especially in pizza. It's a weird thing, pizza world. Pizza world's not like, I mean, like, are all the Michelin star restaurants getting together and hanging out and on a WhatsApp chat? No. <laughs> See, that's my point. But the pizza guys are. And we're very tight knit. We weren't nearly as much 10 years ago, but. One person has their dog die. Everyone in the pizza world knows at this point because we're so damn tight. Oh, my goodness. Well, I want to let you know, I had you on the show for a specific reason. I'm always running an agenda. And one of the ideas that I really want to hammer home for everybody listening is the importance of like a culture-focused, data-driven restaurant. I've said it a thousand times over the course of the last year. And your restaurants are these culture-focused, data-driven restaurants. You have established core values. You lead with your core values. They exemplify themselves in really practical ways throughout your business. And then you're also data-driven. You're 
tracking key performance indicators and all of that. And so I wanted to use this interview as an opportunity to unpack those big ideas so that people can steal them and figure out what their core values are and what their KPIs are and implement them in their own restaurants. For us, we do a weekly P&L. So last night, we're going to aggregate all the data of the week and give it to all of our managers, every nuance of what every store did and what their goal was based on historicals, what their labor was, what their food cost was, and what they purchased. We have it on a pivot table where they can see the whole thing. And it's just an abundance of free-flowing information so everyone's in the loop. They know what I make. They know what every nick and cranny is available so that there's no BS. There's no, hey, you're getting one over on here, any of that. And there's definables. This is what you need to do this week. In addition, the technology side is a world apart from where it was, let alone three years ago. I mean, three years ago, it wasn't really possible to have your POS link to your scheduler, even if you had a scheduler. And your scheduler can now, or your POS can link with your purchasing. It is mind-blowing stuff. That technology that was on our iPhone in 2007 is catching up to the POS in 2021. Thank God. But these things are going to revolutionize the business. And the people that are going out and just investing 100 bucks a month on a few different programs and then learning them, they're going to save thousands upon thousands and be ready for the future. Well, in high level, your KPIs revolve around labor, food cost, and growth, right? What are those numbers? 30% food cost. That is not a high bar. But if we're above it, hey, guys, this ain't cool. We're losing right now. And you're part of that loss. Next one is 30% uh, labor. So 30% food, 30% labor. And we want to grow 3%. If last year they made $100,000, we want them to make $103,000 this year. Understood. Now, let me ask you a really practical question. If minimum wage went up to 15, 16, $18 in your area, would you adjust pricing to compensate for the inflation? It's a very loaded question because when it comes to pricing a pizza, normal food cost pricing would say, hey, it cost me $20 to make it, so I'm going to charge 80 bucks or 100 bucks to get 20%. I go from what's food cost then what will the market bear or what is comparison? And then last but not least, what can I sell it for if I really put the sizzle on? So I'm already, I think, at my max across the board. If there was a cultural awareness of, hey, we don't need to tip anymore, the tip's baked into the price, and Joe Blow, Oklahoma, got on board with that, then we might be able to. But if the $15 an hour thing occurs, which I would love it's not like we don't pay high as is, because if we're paying someone $12 an hour, we're really paying 18 an hour when you already factor in all the taxes. And none of our servers are making less than 20 bucks an hour when you factor in their tips. But if you take that up, the offsuit shoot has to happen somewhere. So it's a massive issue that I think should Costco be at 15 bucks an hour? I think we could all agree if it takes $20 to run a store that makes $20,000 an hour, they should probably be able to spend 15 bucks. But if I'm expected to make some hours 3,000, some hours 500, and I have to keep 5, 15 to 20 people on staff, the numbers aren't there. And if I'm scratching for that, again, Joe Blow Pizza, no way he can hang with that. And you're going to see no servers. You're going to see a lot more QR ordering at the table. 
So that would be the plan would be to offset labor in other ways, you think? We'd have to. Absolutely have to. It's not a greed choice. It's just not sustainable. And so in terms of tracking those KPIs, what does your tech stack look like? What are you using to report? If somebody wanted to adopt your techniques? The base level is the stuff that's always existed, like Excel and QuickBooks. For the restaurant, we're using Toast. Currently, I'm a big fan of Toast. I think Toast is the Swiss Army knife of this industry. It's the iPhone of this industry. You can integrate a program with it, and it integrates immediately. I am also on seven shifts. I use Scoops for training, which is an offshoot of hot schedules, but I use seven shifts for scheduling. And then last but not least, we are going all in on Market Man currently, which is a very interesting program that pulls our invoices. We scan them. A real person loads them. It marries it up with what was purchased by customers, and we can use that as a commissary function as well between stores. Very, very interesting program. That's really, really interesting. Let's pivot and talk about core values and culture. You guys lead with six core values. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to run through each one and I wanted you to explain it to me. Okay. So the first is impressive or by default, unimpressive. So it's a massive one. And everyone listening, if you've gone to a restaurant, you said this restaurant's fine. And fine is crap. Fine is horrible. If you're not going back to the restaurant not last week or in the next week or next month or next three months, it might as well have super sucked. They're the same. So if it's not impressive, by default, it's unimpressive and you're on a path to death. Ambiguity is our enemy. Ambiguity across the whole board. Staff, a lot of the time, doesn't know where they stand. They don't know, hey, does my boss like me? Am I on the road to a raise? Am I doing my job? And managers are like, hey, it's fine. If there's a problem, I'll tell you. And this ambiguity will fester and fester in their brain, whether it's staff, whether it's customers, whether it's what are we doing, where are we going, all of that ambiguity leads to people creating their own solutions or own end results in their brain. And typically those are wrong or not aligned with yours. Lead with facts, not emotion. I can tell anyone anything if it's factual. Anything. I can say your performance in the last month because you have been late this many times and because your average ticket value is down this many percent is not what we want. What is the reason for this? Instead of saying, I don't think you're yourself lately. And then they're like, oh, I have been myself. You're the one who's just digging on me. Facts, not emotion. And there's no denying a fact. An opinion is easily deniable, and I don't want to work in that world. Perception is reality. On the flip side, if you're perceived, <laughs> if all your staff thinks that you're a jerk, you're like, I'm not a jerk. I'm just tired. I'm like, well, you're a jerk. By definition of what they believe, you are a jerk. So you need to not just be less of a jerk. You have to 180 that behavior until they believe that you're not a jerk. Or if you're being a jerk for a very definable reason that you explain that clearly. Be proactive, not reactive. It goes back to the ambiguity to a degree, but if you are waiting for the shoe to drop, it's going to drop on you. If you're proactively seeking the resolve or seeking a situation, it doesn't happen. Things don't go sideways when you're actively and proactively seeking what you want it to be. Lead by example. It's not one I created, but it sure does work well. <laughs> it's a lot easier to tell people what to do if you're doing it yourself. Hey, never drink at the bar while you're hammered at the bar as the owner. It's hard. It's hard to monkey see, but don't be monkey do. It's wrought with issues, especially in this industry. When did you open your first restaurant? How long ago was that? We got the LLC in December of 2004, opened it January of 2005. When did you establish your core values? 
those were just slowly learned. I had a brief amount of time in the Marine Corps, and some of them were from that. And my brother was a Marine, and my father was a Marine. But my Marine Corps journey is cut short because I have type 1 juvenile diabetes, young person diabetes that I did not know I had and was in the Marine Corps at OCS, not knowing I had it. And I learned a lot about leadership at that time. But some of these ones, you do something like perception, nine tenths reality is one that's existed before this, but impressive or by default unimpressive. I learned when another restaurant opened down the street and started buying up the frozen things that we were buying. We had a really eclectic frozen ravioli. They were able to buy that same eclectic frozen ravioli. And I said, we're just the same. I'm selling a McNugget. They're selling a McNugget. We're both claiming that we're not McDonald's. And now it's just crap. We're crap. They're crap. And we're not better than someone. We don't have a definable, unique selling point. So, And then when we did something that was impressive, it was like, oh, I love this one little thing you do. I was like, well, let's just do a thousand of those. And anything that doesn't hit the brain in a unique way, we need to go back to the drawing board and do it over again. How do you train with core values? Do you sit down with new hires or your management sits down with new hires? Do you go through the six? Do you explain them? Those are the core values of our restaurant. I have a separate set of values that I have for the person, which are kind of separate. For a person, for a manager, I expect that they're competitive, that they're passionate, that they're ethical, that they're fun, and that they are effective. If they can do those five, they're on their way. Now, to get this done, when I was one store, I could train every person. We could go and say, hey, here's how you make a pizza. When you get to two stores, it's like running around with a, like a chicken with your head cut off. When you get to three stores, it's just impossible. So we really didn't like that we would see a trainee doing something wrong, or even worse, that they've worked for us for three weeks, and I'd walk in the store and be like, you new here, bro? Maybe I was coming in in days, and this guy was a night guy that worked only a few days of the week, and then we finally meet, and he doesn't know who I am. And that hit me over the head like, that's not cool. That's not going to work. So we filmed all the training. And at first, we were just loading it in Google Drive and having to watch a video and then do a test. But then the program scoops, like school, but with an X. We load the video. If they're a server, they go on this training path. If they're back to house kitchen, they go on this training path. And it's a universal orientation that takes around an hour and a half, explains the whole history of the restaurant, how to work hard to get ahead, how to quit. If you want to quit, don't walk off the line. Be a decent person. All this stuff we get into. And it's been very, very good for us. And by the time they're done with training, they will be on site. They will do this school training and then they will do one-to-one with a trainer training. And then we give them a swag bag when they graduate. So there's a feeling of accomplishment. Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. Microband 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop. It keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved Microband 24 Sanitizing Spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19 so you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch. And then day to day, 
What are the metrics set? How does the manager know if they're living up to the core values that have been set, whether it's the first six or the five that are issued directly to management? There's a few different other key indicators, such as we do review aggregate scores. So I have a program that can aggregate Google, Yelp, TripAdvisor, Facebook reviews over the course of the last 90 days and say, hey, you've had your score go up this many points. It's like the Rotten Tomatoes for a restaurant. And that helps a lot from the public's perception. Then there's obviously the almighty dollar. Did you make money? And then we do an attrition report, which tells me, do people like the smell of what you're cooking? Do people dig what you do that work for you? And those three, from a very data emotionless perspective, tell us no matter what, because me and my brother, we're not mind readers. And some managers can talk a lot of talk. And some managers don't. And you think that they're like, not into it, then you see, wow, they're killing it. And then you realize that they're just introverts. So you never really know until the numbers produce what they produce. And we've learned that certain managers are introverts, but are great at delegation. Certain managers are much more kitchen focused, or they're much more service focused, or they can do it all, but they don't do it with passion. There's a lot of trade-offs. What is Andomania? Andomania. Andomania took is... Again, the restaurant I own is Andalini's, and we have a fine dining restaurant and a bunch of other restaurants. So right now we have 11 things. And out of our 11 things, we used to have them all do an individual like party in the Christmas time. And then they might do one in the summer. And I thought, wouldn't it be great when we got to five restaurants if we had them all compete and just gave them low ABV alcohol, <laughs> brought them to the middle of Tulsa where no one really lives at night. It's like kind of like a financial area. And then just did a bunch of contests and just get as stupid and as fun with it as possible and not have it only be a staff development, have it be a bragging thing, make a full-blown title belt, got the really the expensive WWE title belt, not the full-blown replica. And I think morale is a real thing. It's not just, hey, let's throw the kids a bone and take a bowling. There's value in that, but I believe in that next level, if they can have pride and we have the belt. We are the fastest pizza throwers. We are the best at whatever the contests are, or some of the contests are just about being a cohesive unit. If they can show that off and build towards that throughout the year, it's going to have an intrinsic value that I will not be able to quantify. So Carla Santana has this great quote, which says, nothing in the world is more contagious than enthusiasm. But you say something very similar in the book that speaks directly to what you're mentioning now. It's something to the effect of, what is the fuel of... Uh... I think I wrote passion and apathy are both deeply contagious, which they are. If someone's too cool for school, and I'm sure you've been in a lot of restaurants. Have you ever had the too cool for school trainer? Like, all right, okay, bro, put down this paper, sign this. Okay, we're going to watch a video and I'll be back in a few. Like, he seems cool. He almost seems too cool. I don't really know. if I. <laughs> it's like, I might want to drink with him, but I don't know if I really dig this place. I don't feel welcomed. Apathy at three o'clock on a dead Tuesday. And everyone's just starts sitting on the tables or, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. That level of passion or being stoked about the day can make this shift go quicker, can make people feel there's a purpose in their lives. And with lazy management who's afraid to put themselves out there, it can destroy morale real quick if you don't have it. You talk about that in the book. You talk about that you yourself and your entire team have to be bigger versions of themselves, right? Yes. Especially when you're with a customer, you're the heightened version of yourself. I want staff 
especially to not be fake, but I want them to be heightened on stage versions of themselves. Servers, especially. If you're an owner and you think that your staff isn't living off every word you say, you are extremely naive. If you pay someone, if you are responsible for their livelihood, people will hang on your every word, especially younger. And that's not new, but people will think, I signed up to be an owner. I didn't sign up to be their life coach. Well, by default, you're both. Absolutely. I think one of the ways you create that passion and you create that enthusiasm is by sharing a piece of yourself with them. You have a whole section in the book on communication, and you talk about the importance of explaining why they're there, why you're there, why you built this. Can you get into that and what that path is? Again, that's killing ambiguity. With communication, direct, honest, open communication, and a pathway to communicate, whether it's a leadership tree, command protocols, or just understanding how things are heard. I train my managers on, if you stand next to someone, like you're at a bar, it's very non-confrontational. You can cozy up to someone and be like, hey, you all right, man? And it's going to be very non-confrontational. But if you stand up and go right to their face, hey, what's going on today? It's very A to B conversation. And there's a time for both of those things. So knowing those dynamics, because if you don't choose your communication, then it's being chosen, just not by you. You might not dictate what you want to have heard. You might come off harsh. You might come off as a softy. If you go into a conversation knowing this is how I want to be perceived, and this is the end result of this conversation, especially when it's dealing with addressing negative behavior by the employee, you can get where you want to go. But regardless, if it's, hey, I want to walk into this room and build morale, if you walk in with that as your end result goal, you'll know what to say. If you're just existing and, hey, whatever happens, happens, this is my job. It's just where I go to get paid. You're not in control. And that's, again, an owner does not have that liberty to not decide their fate. You talk a lot about self-reflection in the book. And over the course of the last 12 months, I think we've all had an opportunity to do a bunch of that. And I'm curious because I could tell that the chapter came from a very honest, raw, vulnerable place. Tell me about the first time you had to take that hard look in the mirror and what you saw when you did. In terms of COVID or just this industry in general? This industry in general, your path to leadership? I think you get scared a lot. And I was like, will we get through this? Will we be okay? I'm lucky that I've had enough crazy things happen to me between type 1 diabetes, between going to OCS, between living in New York and California as a kid. I've had a lot of pain without full-blown tragedy or trauma. And I think that's good. I think pain is good. I think trauma, it could be a little bit too much for people. And I've avoided trauma, hopefully for most of my life. And the pain is something to learn from. So when I get hit in the face, I kind of know, all right, that's that. Now I know what to do. Getting kicked in the face or whatever knockdown you get now I have a standard operating procedure for. I did not always have that. We did not always have that. Having people that you care about that work for you die or send them to rehab or, you know, my mom died and people are going through surgeries. Sometimes it all happens at the same week, the same week you're opening a store, which happened to me in 2015. And then when you know you can handle your operational worst and still come out of it, you know how to be your operational best. And your fear goes away to a degree, but you can harness your fear. 
And I say the things that scare people, run at them, especially if you're young. If you're in your 20s, just screw up a lot. Just actively seek, short of like cocaine binges and stuff like that's really negative. Like there's no like, you know, I need to get some cocaine binges out of the way in my 20s. More like, hey, I'm going to try and invest in something and see where it goes. Or I'm going to work for this guy that doesn't have enough money to pay me, but I think he's going to be an interesting guy to be around. I think that's where the value of your 20s comes from because time you can't get back, but money you always can. I'm a big believer that storytelling and marketing are two of the biggest shortfalls that we experience as restaurateurs. Most of us just aren't built for it outside of the four walls of our restaurant. And you spend a lot of time in the book talking about the importance of marketing, how to market, the importance of branding. And for the people listening, I was hoping you could share your best practices and the biggest wins you've had related to marketing. The biggest wins I've had has been anything that ever brought a lot of value to the customer that was done in an endearing way. So I wouldn't do this today, but when it was one store and I wrote a letter and signed every letter, I was like, I have opened a restaurant here in your town. I really think it's good. I want you to come here and tell me what you think. Here's $5 to use in this restaurant, however you want. That resonated. That was like, hey, five bucks to a restaurant. Some people take advantage of it and want to buy a shot at tequila. Some people, hey, I want to come in. You got a massive boost and it saved our ass that year. When we reformatted our social media to have it be more video driven, now in a more tech aware world, and to talk to the customer face to face and build an empathy and talk about things without slamming it over the head. Like, hey, here's why I'm so excited about this pizza. I'm really enjoying this. And it's not, now you should buy it. Because when you talk down to the customer or demand something of the customer, it doesn't work. There's a lot of times where you lead them to water and they'll drink. Just lead them to water. Don't say, now drink that water. It's just kind of dumb. And only the finest ingredients. I hate that. Like, who determined they're the finest? Certainly not you. And what makes it, I don't trust you already. So building trust with the customer. In Tulsa, I can open practically anything now. And the Tulsa world will run a story on it. And I will have a fan base that wants to see it. It's like a Tarantino fandom that I can use here, where it's like, I don't know what the movie is, but Tarantino did it, so I'm going to go see it. And that's a beautiful thing that we've worked very hard to cultivate, and I advise that other people do it that way as well. From a marketing perspective, I utilize, again, another wrestling reference. The WWE is fantastic at taking scripted wrestling and building an emotional response from kids, from adults, and everyone knows it is what it is, but they build the characters. If you just saw two people do a fight with nothing built up, you wouldn't care. Same thing for UFC. UFC fights, if they're lower card, less great fighters are not good at fighting, but they have a grudge match, they will get more buy-in on the grudge match than if it's the two best in class. Because a grudge match is a story. People want to see the resolve. People want to be into something. And I'm not seeking to have a fight in my store, but I want them to feel like, hey, this guy's the underdog or this guy's the knowledgeable person. And even if you want to be a heel, be a heel bad guy in your marketing, but be something. Don't just elicit nothing and get no reaction. I thought it was a great point that you brought up when you said, as the restaurant owner, as the restaurant operator, like you do have to create 
characters. You have to decide not just how you want your restaurant or your food and beverage offering to be perceived, but how you want to be perceived as well in relation to that. Of course. No one tells you when you get your health department license or your business license, this is how to be successful. And the inverse, a lot of the normal thought is, I need to fit in as much as possible. So I saw this guy do that thing. So I'll do that thing and and maybe I'll be successful. And that's the counterproductive approach because you need to stand out the most from that guy. I'll copy something that's the best POS. Or if I saw Domino's has a new way to spread cheese, I want to see that. But I don't want to have my design of my logo or the interior of the restaurant or the way the menu looks look anything like Domino's or any restaurant, pizza or not, for that matter. I thought that was a great point you brought up. In the book, you talk about the value in stealing, but don't steal locally. Don't steal locally. Wherever you're from, if you grew up there all your life, great. Do a recipe. Do a story of some pulp. Or go visit Hawaii and come out with some, hey, we saw this really cool thing on the island or whatever thing you can pull. But now you're taking someone to somewhere else. That's another thing that people want. People want to feel transported. Food has that ability. When you're having an Italian wine, you are drinking the same experience as someone in Italy. It is the air can't be the same. The view can't be the same, but the taste can be. And that's what you offer as a restaurateur. You're a guy that works on your business and not in it. How did you make that leap? It's not easy because I still want to be shown that I am in the business. But if they depend on me to throw out dough because I'm fast at it, we're in a crap situation. It's like, hey, we'll just have Mike. Well, Mike can't be at five stores on a Friday night. So you really have to take what you know, train it in an effective way. Not, I, 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 that's how I do it. You got it? All right. They nod and you say, good. You have to verify that they know how to do it to the standard. And then you can feel somewhat comfortable moving on to the next store and then create a chain of command where you demand X from your managers who have to demand Y from their staff. And hopefully everyone holds everyone accountable in the right proper way. And then the KPIs ensure or give you a notification when that's not the situation. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I'd like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement you'd like to share? First off, to all of you listening, how dare you? Uh, I just love to start (laughs) any, I think there's no funnier way to start a, a sentence than how dare you. To anyone listening, if you're in a bad situation, know that it gets better if you decide you want it to be better. Whether it's leaving that restaurant or starting a new one, it's your choice. It's your life. If you're scared about it, good. It should be scary. There's no guarantees. But don't waste your life in someone else's vision if it's not what you want. Or if you are around people that have a cool vision and they're treating you well, double down on it and make that the coolest possible thing it could be and everyone succeeds. Because there's no reason to live like a cubicle drone in this industry. That is why you're in this industry. Because you're not Cubicle Gary, who when Cubicle Gary dies, no one cares because he's Cubicle Gary. He does his KP reports or whatever it is and just calls it a day. You signed up to live a life. So do it. Go out and do it. And if you're not doing it, that's your fault. Decide that tomorrow is going to be different and do something about it. That's Mike Bausch. For more on his book, check out unslicedbook.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. 
Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.